0: I'm very good with technology, <laughs> uh, like I am tackling. Well, it's a joy to be here. I, Cheryl and Carmen both told me to bring their greetings to you. The, uh, Carmen is uh, going to have her first public conference with young girls, 11 to uh, 14, and she'll be speaking at a, a for him conference for young girls, and here's a joke you would appreciate knowing Carmen. She, uh, when her director told her about doing the conference, she said, let me pray about it. He said, well, you don't need to pray. We already know you're supposed to do it. So I said, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Karma want to pray about everything. Carmen, uh, could I pro- uh, call you? Let me pray about it, Dad. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> just funny. But she, uh, we're excited about her desire for young people. And so she sends a greeting, and Cheryl does also. I'm on the road until October the 12th. I'll fly from here to Arkansas for a men's conference. And then I'll leave next Sunday on the 7th going to North Dakota to speak at colleges. And I'll be at a church and then speaking to some business people with one of our evangelists there in North Dakota. So I'm on the road until October the 12th and uh, give Cheryl a breather from me uh, on that. But I'm looking forward to doing that. It's a joy to come to a place where the Word of God is preached and the servants of God are joyful in serving the Lord. I get excited to see... Pastor Paul raising up leaders and leaders that we would love to have in our own church and then you're sending them out. He has great joy in sending out people. So it's wonderful. Not only God's raising up uh, people, but he's sending them out because there's great need around the world. And I I rejoice to serve with you and thank you for your faithful prayers and financial support that uh, we can go forward uh, with the uh, word of the gospel. As I was praying about what we should share this morning or what we were going to look at uh, I'm going to share with you a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you have the Word of God, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I appreciate some of the football players who uh, came to the chapel being here this morning on that. But Titus chapter 2, and Paul is writing to his this young preacher that he has impact, and he's sending him out to, to Crete, Crete. Uh, uh, a city that, that has churches already planted, but uh, the area is a prosperous area, but it's an area that's full of deception. And Paul is, is encouraging Titus to go there, and he gave him a responsibility. Titus is to preach the gospel, he's to raise up leaders, he's to rebuke those false teachers that's teaching a false gospel there in Crete. And then Paul shares with uh, Titus what he's to preach. You know, we're living in a day that we have to be clear about the main thing. Uh, God had blessed America. We've heard the gospel. But people have heard about the gospel but haven't heard the gospel. And so Paul was telling Titus, don't tell them about the gospel. Preach the gospel. And in preaching the gospel, it's the gospel of the grace of God. But this grace of God is a grace that saves but also it's a grace that serves. And so I want to speak to us this morning about the grace of God. Not only a grace that saves, but a grace that gives us a joy to serve the one who saved us. And so in Titus chapter 2, i begin in verse 11. Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation have appeared to all men, teaching us, Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. A peculiar people, zealous of good of good works. Well, let's open in prayer. Father, we give thanks this morning that in this place, in this country, we can join together without outward opposition from physical beings to worship you. So we thank you for this great privilege. We pray this morning that as, as we meet in your presence that you would, by your spirit, exalt your son that you would cause us to see afresh, understand anew, and rejoice anew in this glorious salvation. And Father, for that one bowed in your presence this morning, in this place whom you've brought, that you would open their hearts, that they might see him who is invisible and come to experience so great salvation. Speak, Lord, thy servant listen. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace that saves and serves. Well, what is it? Here's a brief definition that I have. The grace of God is unmerited favor that changes a sinner into a saint. And it enables that person to serve God joyfully and to find full satisfaction in Jesus Christ only. Full satisfaction in Jesus Christ only. Some people come to Christ for something. Grace bring you to Christ for someone. (laughs) You come to taste that not only what God have done, the God who done it satisfied your soul. David said it like this, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's people talking about what God have done and how God's going to bless and God's going to do this for you. What Paul is telling Titus don't tell people what God is going to do. Tell them what God has done. <laughs> God has provided everything that pertains to life and godliness in the knowledge of Christ. And that's what grace does. It brings us into a place of peace. It gives us a purpose for living. Then it gives us power to live. It's amazing grace. And so Paul is to want Titus to preach that grace. And then he says in verse, uh, look at verse Fifteen 14 again I'm sorry verse 15 these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let nobody despise thee he says Titus you preach with all authority and don't let no man despise you don't back off I speak a lot to young men and women and I it's coming a day that you're going to be attacked for standing for light and so Paul says with all authority don't Back off, Timothy. We have to say that to ourselves today and to the church. With all authority, we can't back off. When there's mockery being made in the political arena, when there's putrefaction being promoted in the land, when religious organizations are prophesying lies, what are you going to do, Timothy? You preach the gospel. And you don't back off. When they don't like you for it, preach the gospel, Timothy. When they love you for it, preach the gospel, Timothy. If you have to die for it, preach the gospel, Timothy. Why? Because the lamb that was slain is worthy. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. And so what he's to preach, well, let's look at this passage together and and trust God. And the danger of a passage like this is that I'm not going to say anything that you, if you've been in church for more than two Sundays in your life, you've heard about it. And the issue is, it's not something new that God wants us to always experience. It's that old, old story. <laughs> How Savior came from glory and gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. How we heard about his groan and his precious blood atoned And we pre- repented of our sins and we, and we received the victory. So we would proclaim freshly this victory. Not that was, but the, the victory that is and the victory that shall be. So what does it look like? Look what Paul says to Timothy, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation have appeared to all men. The first thing is, Timothy, remind them of the presence of saving grace. The grace of God that brings salvation, that this grace, this salvation that God has provided, is present grace. It's not what Jesus has done in the past. This Savior is present. You're preaching not about him. You're preaching him. Why? Because he's omnipresent. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. The appearing of grace. Well, how did it come? Well, it was prophesied first. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, a, the seed of a woman. Right after man had sinned, when Adam had sinned and 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 was hiding from God him and Eve was hiding from God and then God asked them where they were and then Eve began to blame the devil and Adam blamed God the woman you gave me remember God I didn't act for her. <laughs> so he blames God why because the problem with sin is that it makes us hide from God Adam and Eve was hiding from God and then they began to blame other people for their problems And God had to strip them from their deception. And then God promised in this wonderful gospel, God made a promise. But God only promised when we realize there's a problem. I want you to know this morning, if you're not a Christian, you're hiding from God. You may be hiding from God like I was, hiding from God, thinking that if I got satisfaction, if I've got money, I've got fame, I've got football, I've got sports, I am satisfied. That's just a hidden deception. Because Jesus said, what profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses soul? You may be sitting in here, if I got the right wife, I'm single, but boy, if I got the right wife, I'd be satisfied. No, Adam wasn't. (laughs) If I got the right husband, no. (laughs) Well, you'll just be be two sinners marrying each other. (laughs) And two sinners can't satisfy each other unless they find satisfaction in the Savior. So what's the problem in the world? The problem is the Frank Sinatra disease. Everybody's doing it their way. (laughs) Remember Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. See, the problem is not what man does. See, what we do is not the problem. It's what we are that's the problem. (laughs) The problem is that we're rebels, and rebels only could rebel. And, And so therefore, Paul was preaching to Titus because Titus let them know that religion won't save you. Why? Because religion can't save. Isaiah, the prophet, the Old Testament evangelist came and he began to say, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because God had prophesied in Genesis. And here Isaiah says, A virgin's going to conceive. And then Isaiah tells him, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah says he's wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. It was prophesied, this this, this grace that was coming was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then Matthew says, A virgin should be with child, and you should call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Not just forgive them of their sins, he's going to save them from their sins, and all the consequences of their sins. And then John the Baptist saw this prophecy coming and he says, Behold, 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 the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What God had prophesied in Genesis, what Isaiah had told about, what Michael had talked about, Isaiah's prophecy has come to pass. Why? Because the problem exists. The solution is here. <laughs> and that's what I want you to know this morning. Titus was supposed to preach that the solution of the problem in Crete is here. The grace of God has appeared. It's in a person. And I want you to know this morning, you who, like me, who was born out of bounds. Man was born out of bounds and born to go his own way. I was born in sin, shaping in iniquity. In sin that my mother conceived me. That's what David said. And we have to realize we were born out of bounds. And born to go our own way. Shaping in iniquity. Conceived in sin. Now I know people say. Well, that doesn't help my self-esteem. Hallelujah. <laughs> because man's self-esteem is the problem. He's esteeming himself more highly than he ought. Man's. You know, I remember a couple of months ago or maybe a year ago, people were saying, well, black lives matter. I asked the question, why any life matter? <laughs> why does any life matter? It only matters because God created us in his image. No life matters. If, if it does, has no value apart from God. Why? Because a life apart from Jesus Christ is under the wrath of God. And the purpose for which it was created, they're not fulfilling it. And so they're waiting for eternal judgment. What give it value when it's restored to the one who gave it value? Well, why was man created? He wasn't created for himself. He wasn't created for his satisfaction. He wasn't created for his joy. He wasn't created for his glory. He was created for the glory of God. And Paul told the Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that do it good. Now, that's, people have a problem with that. Well, I was born this way. Yes, you were born a rebel. Now, how you rebel is just a flavor of your selfishness. Should I say? I hope I don't need. Well, I'm going to say it. Some people say, well, I was born this way. Yes, you were that doesn't validate you being that. I was born a liar. <laughs> you right? <laughs> I was born a thief. Yeah? I was born a homosexual. Yeah, you were. How were you born that? That's just the fruit of your rebellion. But God won't validate you being a rebel. And so you were born with a nature to go your own way. And so if you choose drinking, or if you choose immorality, or you choose to be in homosexuality, or you choose to be a pervert, or you choose to be a person who lives in fornication and come to church, you've chosen that. God didn't make you that way. Man wasn't made to rebel. Man was made to obey. He was created for the glory of God. And any act of rebellion is sin. Call it what you want. Now we in this country have Redefine where well, you're going to hurt people's self esteem. I hope I hurt their heart that they want a new heart. Preach that, Titus. Preach it. Why? Because you don't want to make them mad. You want them to have a new heart. And the only we can have a new heart if you're willing to do open heart surgery. You want to show them this heart that they have, and they began to be dissatisfied with their heart. They're satisfied with who they are apart from Christ. Why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation is not for those who are well, it's for the sick. Jesus Christ don't save good people, he saves sinners. He doesn't save people who are sick, he saves people who are dead and trespasses in sin and can't raise themselves to life. When Lazarus was at the grave, Lazarus wasn't, wasn't a little sick, he was dead, and God called a dead man Jesus Christ called him to life. And he says, I'm the resurrection of life. Jesus Christ saved dead people. And you can be rich. You can be famous. You can be successful. You can be handsome. You can be whoever you want. If you're dead and trespassing sin, you're just waiting for your day to enter into destruction. That the devil, the place that the devil is prepared for the devil and his angel. You say, that's hard. It's not hard. It's just truth. And one thing about truth, if you don't like it, it's hard. Right. It's hard. Why? Because the hard heart wants something that satisfies. How do you know, Wallace? Been there, done that. Thank God for some people who's willing to say the hard thing. Love me enough to tell me the truth until God opened my eyes to see it. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians, turn with me if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul was telling the Corinthians about this grace of God. The presence of God's grace, he says to you in First, First Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul tells these Corinthians, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received and wherein you stand, by which also you were saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Unless you have believed in vain. I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture, and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. What Paul says, listen, this is what I preach to you how that Christ died for your sins according to the scripture not according to a man's philosophy, but according to the Scripture, according to the Word of God, and that he was, he was buried. And he, was, he didn't just rise from the grave like I heard when I was a child, Jesus rose spiritually from the grave. No, he rose physically from the grave, and he was seen. And then he ascended in that same Jesus coming back. So not only was his first appearance the grace of God, but there's a grace of God where he's going to appear again. He's going to come back. And he's going going to come back, and he's going to pour out his wrath on all those who obey not the gospel. Titus preached that. Why? If you won't accept the love of God in Christ, you will experience the wrath of God from Christ. Oh, it's good news for those who understand the bad news. (laughs) The bad news is I need life. The good news is the grace of God has appeared. Teaching us, and then so the presence of God's grace. This grace was prophesied; it was present, and it all comes in a person. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's all about a person. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a philosophy. It's not about a religion. It's not about a country. It's about a person. Preach Christ, Timothy, Titus. Preach him. Why? Because he's preachable, and the gospel don't contain the power. It is the power. That's the only thing going to change life, Timothy. Preach the power of God, the gospel. Not about it. Preach it. Don't preach about the cross. Preach the cross. It's not a place to come and bow down to. The cross is a place where you get on. <laughs> you know that he died for you. You die with him. You accept your death and the death of Jesus Christ. People tell you about the cross. Jesus said, come to the cross. Take it up. Die with me that you might live by me. So if you're going to come to Christ, you must be willing to say, my life for my sake in this world is over. That's what it means to be, that's what grace does. Grace says, I don't want my rebellion anymore. Grace says, I want this redeemer. Isn't it wonderful? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Supposing I would have told my wife, okay, honey, I'll marry you, but... I got a few other people I want to marry too, you know. So, but you're going to be my only one. I'll call these when I need them. She would have said no. If not, slap me and said no. (laughs) Let me say this. You can't come to Jesus Christ on your own terms. He's a jealous lover. He would not have you and what else, whatever else you want. Or you're going to come to him because he's going to do this, this, and this for you. No, when you come to him, you come to him for who he is. And no man will accept his wife on conditions that she can go when she wants. And guess what, Jesus Christ is not gonna accept me as his bride and now I have the choice to do what I want when I want. It doesn't work in human life. How can it work in Christianity? <laughs> we're not talking about a performance here, we're talking about a passionate relationship. <laughs> We're talking about a relationship with a man who loved us, and you come to say, I do to him, and that grace says, listen, this Jesus, all of him, and I'm giving all of me. What is that, Wallace? It's amazing grace. And so Titus is to preach that. And then the power of God's grace, the power of God's grace. Oh, I go on rabbit trails too often. Forgive me. But let's go back. Power of God's grace. Titus, again, look at verse 12. It says the power of God, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The power of God's grace, it instructs us in the will of God. And that's what God's grace, not only does it, it saves us, it's grace, but it's, it's grace that intelligently instructs us. What did grace do first? It was grace that taught your heart to fear if you're a Christian. Remember? Grace taught me. And in grace, my fear relieved. The first thing for you who are not Christian, the first thing God's going to teach you to fear him. Why? Because you're under the wrath of God. Flee the wrath to come. It was grace that taught my heart to fear that I had rebelled against God and I rebelled against his law. And I'm, he's just in condemning me. Why? Because I've broken the law. It's like a person who's playing on a football field. You step out of bounds. Yes, you're out of bounds. And... Even the fans know you can't get a touchdown for going out of bounds. Your teammates know that. So why are you arguing with the referee? Man was born out of bounds. Why argue with the scripture? They're not going to change. And so grace taught you. Arguing is not grace. It says submit to him. Be restored to God. Isn't that wonderful? Grace taught taught my heart to fear, and then grace my fear relieved. Look what he says. Teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and to live soberly, or if you will, sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace, powers, instructs us to live in the presence of God and live by the power of God. Isn't that wonderful? It's a grace that changes us. Then a grace that empowers us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God just doesn't leave us to ourselves. Why? When He saves us, His Son comes to indwell us. He said this in Colossians: "Christ in you is the hope of glory." As I sit and talk to these athletes, and I look at athletes, then they're, they're football players. Why? Because they have the ability to play. You're not going to draft, go out there, well, let me, let me go to get a good guy that can blow the trumpet. We're going to let him play quarterback. No, you don't want a great musician to play quarterback. I want someone to have the ability to play the game. Listen, God is not looking for someone to have ability. He's looking for someone who wants his ability. Are you willing to have my ability, my life in you, that can enable you to live the way God would have you to live? That's what grace does. It gives you the ability. It teaches To deny and and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present world. The power of God's grace. I must go on. There's much more I can say there. But it it helps us to seek the glory of God and live in the presence of God. You know, let me say this to young people. The danger for young people today is to live by public opinion. What people think about me on Facebook, or whatever they call it, or what people think about me on this, or what... Listen, public opinion really doesn't matter. So you, you, you have to learn not to live in the, by the praise of men or the boos of men. You live in the presence of God. The grace of God teaches you to live in the presence of God. Whether they boo you or cheer you, you want to do what God says. The grace of God gives you that kind of boldness. That you're not controlled by public opinion, praise or boo, you're controlled by a power to please a God who satisfied your heart. Amazing grace. We have to tell our young people that, that God is looking for Daniel's purpose in their heart not to defile himself. Joseph, who are willing to, to live for the glory of God and, and go to prison for doing the right thing if need be. We're looking for Esthers who are living for such a time as this. Young women who are willing to, to live their lives in such a way that God can be honored. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God grace does. And then the last thing God grace does. He says, In verse 13, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good work. The passion of God's grace. What's the passion of God's grace? That this person who appeared once, he's coming again. And so the passion of God's grace, we serve Like he's coming again. It teaches us to serve God. Why? Because he's coming again. And I'm living like he's coming again. I'm loving the fact that he's coming again. And I'm longing for other people to prepare themselves for his coming. And so you tell that old, old story. Why? Because the grace of God has given you a passion. Not to go to heaven only. I tell people to go to heaven, and I want to say this reverently, to go to heaven and Jesus is not there is like being in hell. I say this reverently. Why? Because it's not a place that we're going, it's a person that we're going to see. And we'll be like him, and we'll see him as he is. And they that have this hope in them purify themselves, even as he is pure. Heaven is a place where the lamb is worshipped, and and God is worshipped, and the angels are worshipping, and on that throne is the lamb. And so we're looking for this person. It's a glorious appearance. That he's coming again, like he came to save, he's coming to take us home, to be with him, and we'll be like him forever. And so we tell that story, that our passion is that the lamb is coming. And should death come, I'll go be with him. But if, if, if he comes before death, I'm ready for him. Oh, what a privilege it is. I will say to you today, have you experienced this grace? This grace that saves, this grace that satisfies, this grace that gives you a purpose for living. And a grace that give you a passion for the one who loves you. And you want to live like like he's coming again. Titus preached that grace of God. Brothers and sisters, in America, I stand here today on the shoulders of giants. People who preached this old, old story. And people who had a passion because the lamb was coming again. And they told the story. And they passed it on to their children and to their children, children. And we stand in America today because God blessed America with people who wanted to bless God <laughs> for the God of America. And the Lamb that made America where she was. What did the Lamb do? Not to make America great, but to make God glorious. And what how is God glorious? When his church rise up and call him blessed. <laughs> If you're not a Christian this morning, I would say come to the Lamb just as you are. Trust him with your life. Don't clean it up. Just give it up. And he'll fix it up. And if, you're, if, you, if you belong to him this morning, serve him passionately. Serve him, serve him intentionally. Why? Because the Lamb is worthy of the reward of his suffering and the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks this morning for so great salvation. Thank you for your mercy that you lavished upon us in Christ. Thank you for the privilege of living in a country where the gospel is preached, where people could pray and proclaim. And so I pray that you would have mercy upon us as a nation, that we, your church, would rise up and live out the fullness of this calling, that others who know not your Son would come and taste and see the goodness of the Lamb. Pray for that one bowed in your presence. Give them grace to receive this one who receives sinners. Thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, Amen.